Hello, it's Clive DeCarl, and I'm joined once more with Spencer Feldman, and we're going to talk about spike proteins. It's uh, a spiky, prickly subject, obviously, and um, so at the beginning, I wanted to totally ignore them and just think, well, it's a scare thing, and I don't want to believe these things exist. However, uh, tell us what you think. Well, uh, first, I want to... Uh... Thank you, Clive, for being willing to address the subject because there are a lot of other people that I do podcasts that are afraid to discuss this, afraid for what it's going to do to them, uh, what consequences it's going to have for them in terms of, you know, being debanked or being deplatformed or being harassed. So, you know, shout out to you, Clive, for the courage you have in uh, putting, you know, your listeners' well-being first, and even though it comes at personal expense. So thank you. Well, hopefully it won't come at personal expense. I think it'll be hopefully not. Be fine. So yeah, okay. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Yes, let's put, we'll, we'll put good vibes out there for that. Uh, secondly, I, I want to make a caveat. Um, this isn't going to be a polished um, presentation because I haven't really put all my notes into a, an, a really good flow yet. So please forgive me. You're going to be, I'm going to be kind of going through some things, some of it I might say twice. It might be in order that's a little bit off, but we'll, I'll, we'll make sure to get all the information touched that I, I've gone on so far. So let's first talk about, you know, who's going to be affected by spike proteins? Um, people ask me, uh, hey, should I be concerned about shedding? Um, I am not particularly concerned with shedding, and, and I certainly wouldn't want someone that I'm um, sexually active with to have been vaccinated. I, I don't want to have that kind of exposure, but um, kind of incidental exposure, shaking hands, you know, that kind of thing, um, it doesn't doesn't throw me. Uh, I'm much more concerned with the endogenously created spike proteins than the ones that I get from the outside, which will be a uh, you know, temporary at low, small amounts. Uh, who else is uh, affected? Uh, well, what about if you've had COVID? Uh, well, we know that people who have had COVID are testing positive for spike proteins 15 months after the infection. That means one of two things. It means either spike protein has an impossibly long half-life, which I can't believe it's that long. It does have a long half-life. I don't think it's going to last 15 months. Uh, or it means that there's a viral reservoir, which I think is what's going on, that for the people who have had COVID but have not been vaccinated, is still in some immune privileged tissue in the body, in the brain somewhere, perhaps, a, uh, an active, mildly active, but an active COVID uh, infection that is uh, making spike proteins. Uh, who else is affected? Well, those who have been vaccinated, clearly. Um, they not only got an injection, uh, they, they not only were, did their own bodies make vac, uh, the spike protein, but it's possible that they're still making it now. And of course, the more boosted you got, the more that's happening. Because uh, as I warned when this first came out, uh, the potential of reverse uh, endogenous reverse transcriptase in the body taking the RNA and uh, putting it into your, a person's DNA thus genetically modifying them so that they're always making some degree of spike protein. <clears throat> now, um, here in the U.S., I think they discovered that 
something like uh, 70 plus, 74% perhaps maybe, recently of the new deaths were now associated uh, with uh, spike proteins. So there are two terms, it's called uh, mortality and morbidity. So let's take a look at mortality. In the US, and I imagine it's relatively the same in most first world countries, nine, uh, the top causes of death, 90% of deaths in order are uh, heart disease, cancer, it depends what age group you're in, but heart attacks, cancer, unintentional injuries, respiratory uh, issues, stroke, Alzheimer's, and diabetes. So let's go through these, right? Um, well, with the heart disease and stroke, they're basically the same thing in a different location. And what we are, uh, what coroners are seeing are these monstrous two-foot-long blood clots uh, that are being pulled out of people uh, you know, on autopsy. Now, this is not something they've seen before. Um, so I'll explain to you in a bit why I think spike proteins are what are causing these and what we can do about these monster clots. clots. Uh, in terms of cancer, we now know that spike proteins, one, increase the odds of ever getting it because it decreases the cancer surveillance and response systems. Two, it reactivates cancers that had gone into remission, meaning the person got them to go to sleep and, and, and go latent, and then they come back now. And third, uh, for those cancers that are either active or are woken up, they're now being called turbo cancers because they grow so fast they kill somebody in a month. So then you've got uh, unintentional injuries. Uh, uh, there's a coin, a term that Cliff High uh, coined called vaccidents, which is all the people that... Um, you know, get in car crashes or plane crashes or something happens because they basically have a mini stroke or pass out or a seizure, and then they have an accident from the blood clot. In terms of respiratory, we know that one of the first things we learned about spike proteins is they damage the lung endothelial tissue. Again, stroke is the same as a heart attack, different location, Alzheimer's. Uh, spike proteins both trigger and amplify uh, Alzheimer's, so very much like cancer. It can, it can cause it to happen, and if it's happening, make it happen faster. And we now know that diabetes is increasing for people that have been uh, vaccinated because it's causing autoimmune issues. So that's the mortality. Um, and maybe that explains why we're seeing such a massive increase in mortalities among the vaccinated. It's because spike protein is associated with virtually every form of the major forms of death. Morbidity is a death. Morbidity is just not, you know, is disease. Now, uh, let's talk about some morbidity conditions. We have allergies, and actually we did a, an interview together on uh, allergies and mast cells. So yes, um, we now know that spike protein triggers allergies. Um, it triggers autoimmunity. Now, diabetes isn't the only autoimmune condition that uh, spike proteins can cause. Any part of the body can get autoimmune where it attacks itself. And then you've got this thing called the IgG4 disorders. That's an immunoglobulin G, fourth version of it, right? Number four. And this is a set of conditions that is caused by an increase of the immunoglobulin IgG4. Now, now this used to be um, a very rare condition. I mean, IgG4 diseases were things that only people who were highly specialized even knew about. Um, but it's not rare anymore because spike protein is triggering IgG4. Um, it, IgG4 does a number of things. It causes tissue swelling, inflammation, fibrosis. Uh, it also uh, suppresses the immune system, right? So a lot of the way uh, the, the body works is it'll have a number of ways to turn on 
a system and then one fail safe to turn it off so it doesn't get out of control. So IgG4 is one of the ways in which the body calms down the immune system to prevent it from getting over, uh, overactive. And which is odd because we're, so we're simultaneously seeing autoimmune and IgG4. So somehow spike proteins are causing the worst of both worlds. They're triggering autoimmune, but the IgG4 that they're triggering is not helping with that. It's causing other problems. <clears throat> we're also, uh, people who are getting vaccinated are seeing bone infections, um, cognitive declines. Uh, we now know that um, COVID and spike protein lit uh, actually causes the brain to decrease in size. It shrinks it and is neurotoxic. Um, and it's not just coming in through the uh, blood-brain barrier, uh, because not you know some people have a decent blood-brain barrier. Spike proteins are actually have a back door through the bone marrow and into the meninges. Uh, it also looks like spike proteins are selectively accumulating in the brain. Now, I think this is an excellent one of the reasons why we've seen the world get so crazy and violent, uh, and increasingly so. I think what's going on is um, people are basically um, having brain damage. Like one of the things you'll see in people who get older and gets a certain type of brain damage or senility is they, they become very frustrated and violent. That's a sign of brain injury. So I think what we're seeing at a, at a species global level with the craziness and violence that we're seeing is basically the global, you know, the, the, at a global level, people's brains are getting injured and it's manifesting uh, as violence and, and irrationality. So I want to talk a little bit about what goes uh, on with uh, stop codons. So um, the way uh, RNA works is it's this little string and it's made, it, it's divided up into chunks of three and each of those is called a codon and that gives a message to do something. So the, the start codon is what the ribosome grabs, grabs onto and then it starts... The, the, the ribosome is the part that translates the RNA into protein. So the RNA is bouncing around and the ribosomes are bouncing around and the ribosome bumps into a start codon and goes, oh, here's something I should make. So it, And it starts clicking through across the RNA chain and out of the ribosome is excreted one protein, at a one amino acid at a time. And then it gets to the stop codon and it says, okay, now it's time to let go of this RNA and release the, the, the protein chain. And what happens is the protein chains, what they do is they go through four levels of folding. And, you know, so first they're a line and then they're a jumble and then they're a folded jumble and a more folded jumble. And at the fourth folding, like a little origami piece, you have the shape of the protein that's going to do what it does. However, uh, what the vaccine manufacturers tried to do is they tried to stabilize the RNA vaccine. And in the process of doing that, they made one of the end things they ended up doing was damaging the, the stop codon. So you have read through uh, where, so now instead it's, it's, it misreads it. And so instead of getting to the stop codon and letting go, it, it just keeps going, reads through the rest of the junk at the end of the RNA, and then can just hang out there because it can't let go. So then now another ribosome grabs onto the start codon and chunk, 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 makes its piece and then hits it. And another one, another one, until you've got this piece of RNA loaded with all these ribosomes that can't get off. 
And out of each of the ribosomes, there's this long, gooey mess of protein. Not only is that a big, clotty bit of garbage in the system, but all those ribosomes no longer work because they're stuck on the RNA. Okay. So they what they what the our vaccine manufacturers try to do is they try to stabilize the RNA so it'll stay in as long as possible. One of the things that does is it can damage the stop codon. Another thing that stability does is it makes it so that the 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 body can't see it anymore. They want to make it stealth so that the body is no longer able to recognize um, technically, if you want to get into techniques, RNA modification of pseudourine, which which is used to replace the uridine, um, uh, is, increases the stability and decreases anti-RNA immune response. That's a technical way of saying by mucking around with the the RNA, they've made it so that the RNA doesn't break down and the body can't see it to break it down. Okay. So one of the things that there's another there's another way that they can make an RNA more stable. And I was thinking about these two foot long clots they pull out of people, and I'm like, wow, that's going to take some really really long bits of junk to make something that big. What happens if they if the RNA folds into a circle? then wouldn't the, and it stop code and stops, wouldn't the ribosome just keep going around in a circle forever, putting out this infinite long thread? And so I just, this thought got into my head. I don't know why. And so I looked up um, circle RNA vaccine and lo and behold, they have been making uh, vaccines where the RNA is in a small circlet, circle or called a ringlet. They said, well, we did this to make it more stable. Okay, so again, now what happens if the ribosome grabs onto the start codon on a, on, a, on a ringlet RNA and it starts going around the ringlet and producing the, back, uh, the protein, and then when it hits a stop codon, it reads through it and keeps going, it's just going to keep going and going and going and spitting out this continuous thread of protein. Like a, you know, and how long can that protein piece that thread be, be well dna inside the human cell in the nucleus is about six feet long now granted that's with some very efficient packing uh and, and stacking of it but i don't think there's any reason to think that uh well at what point would the that ribosome or multiple ribosomes possibly going around in tandem stop making spike protein and mind you, it's not just one protein, it's one a spike protein attached to a protein attached to a protein, this long glomular mess. Well, they would just basically keep making it until either it ran out of amino acids or the cell explodes. So I think that's what's going on. Um, I think that what we have is spike proteins that are very stable, body can't break them down. They're basically misfolded. They're like prions. The body can't break them down. They're very stealthy. We can't see them. They have damaged off switches, and in the case of circular RNA, they never stop. Uh, and if there was reverse transcriptase, then that bit of RNA might be in the cell somewhere, somewhere in the genome. So let's say it's connected to the, the gene that makes insulin. Well, that means every time you eat anything sweet, 
and you get an insulin, you get a little bit of insulin released, you're also going to make spike protein. Or let's say it's part of the cell that <clears throat> makes some protein to protect mitochondria. Well, every time you're producing that protein, you're also making spike protein. So we have this potential to be continuously making this stuff. Now, I think what there's one other thing to, to understand, and that is when the white blood cells encounter spike proteins, they cast out these nets of DNA. They, 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 they toss out their DNA and it kind of gums up and entraps and nets the spike protein. That, that's an, uh, uh, the white blood cells do that. They're called NETS, uh, neut um, neutrophil, um, I might be a, a last, I'm not sure, a neutrophil extracellular traps. And it's just one of the tricks um, white blood cells have for dealing with bacteria. Well, the white blood cells think that the spike protein is bacteria, so they cast these nets, these sticky nets. So what have we got in the bloodstream now, right? We've got these sticky nets. We know that spike protein stimulates fibrin and activates platelets, so we've got the fibrin netting. And then we've got these spike proteins that can be 10 feet long, you know, all glommed up. And what are these making? I think they are what are behind these giant two-foot-long blood clots we're finding in people is a combination of these incredibly long back-to-back -back spike proteins with the, neut uh, the uh, neutrophil extracellular traps with the platelets and the fibrin. So that's what I think is behind uh, what's going on. And maybe you can show on the video um, some of these images that are on videos of people of, um, coroners pulling these blood clots out of people's hearts and stuff. Wow. Well, that sounds absolutely awful. So, um, sorry. <laughs> that's all right. So, uh, what's the answer? Yeah, right. Okay. So, um, what we want to do, so I'm thinking, right, what, what do we do for this? And I thought, all right, so the, uh, the fibrin is a protein, the IgG4, the immunoglobulin is a protein. The neutrophil extracellular trap is a protein. Spike protein is a protein. How do we get rid of proteins? With proteolytics, with proteases. And we already know that people are using natokinase to deal with spike protein. But here's the challenge. There are seven booby traps in the spike protein. They've identified seven sequences that make amyloid plaque. That's the, the same plaque you find like in all, all people with Alzheimer's. There's seven sequences that make amyloid plaque inside the spike protein. So if you break down the spike protein, you can then release these seven protein pieces that make amyloid plaque. So it's like, it's like diffusing a nuclear bomb, Clive. It's like, you, you've got to knock this thing down, but we don't want to get rid of spike protein disease and then have as a consolate, you know, as a side effect, Alzheimer's. So here's what I'm thinking, right? First off, I want to break down the spike protein. So I want natokinase for sure. But I also want to break down all the pieces of the spike protein that might be causing the amyloid, right? So then I mean, I also want to hit it with pancreatin and serapeptase and lumbrocanase. I want four different enzymes to go after the spike protein, I want to break it down as far as humanly possible. I mean, one way to think about it is the spike protein is like a tank. And if you blow up the tank, but out come seven soldiers with machine guns, well, now you've got another problem, right? So you have to go after the spike protein and the things that happen when you break the spike protein down.
So uh, like I said, uh, it's those four uh, enzymes. And then for amyloid, uh, what I like to use are cyclodextrins. So cyclodextrins are these tiny little sugars that are fat-soluble ring. They're the little tiny, very tiny rings. And they're fat-soluble on the inside and water-soluble on the outside. And uh, the evidence is suggesting that, cyclo uh, that cyclodextrins can bond onto the amyloid plaque at the fat-soluble spikes that are sticking out of it, rendering the amyloid water-soluble so you can pee it out. So what happens is when you get a protein, okay, let me back up. They used to think amyloid was like a, a carbohydrate kind of thing, because that tends to term ami or amyloid, carbohydrate-like. It's not, it's a protein. And it's a misfolded protein. And what we know about misfolded proteins is more normal proteins are water-soluble on the outside. Remember I said that proteins fold in four steps? By the fourth step, all the water-soluble pieces of the, of the protein are inside and all the water soluble on the outside and that allows the body to shuttle that protein around from place to place whether it needs to move here or move there or move someplace to be destroyed but when a protein misfolds that's when part what one of the things that happens is a fat soluble part sticks out now it's very hard to get rid of that protein because it's got a fat soluble piece that can stick in a membrane somewhere so the amyloid plaque in the brain is misfolded in such a way that you can't get rid of it because it's partially fat soluble. Um, so what we the, the thing about cyclodextrins is that ring gets goes onto that little fat soluble spike on the misfolded protein, rendering the entire protein water soluble again, so that cell can inject it out and you can pee it out into the toilet. So um, if I were working with a protocol for spike proteins. Uh, I would be working with those four enzymes and cyclodextrins. Uh, by the time you release this video, uh, hopefully we will have a liposomal product called protolase that has all four of those enzymes as a liposome so that it bypasses stomach digestion. And you know we already have the uh, albidextrin product with two different cyclodextrins in it. So uh, that's um, the way I would go. Um, you can also make natto which is that Japanese dish where you put um, bacillus subtilis on your cooked beans. Um, and that will give you natto kinase if you want to hack it and do it yourself. You just have to be very careful with keeping very sterile or you'll grow the wrong stuff and give yourself an upset stomach.